Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare-related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans, and a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And now, here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Hi, welcome to The Nine Line Podcast. I'm your host, John Archiquette, and joining me is my good friend and co-host, Joshua Gray. Hi, John. We are uh, coming to you from the home of the 2023 Stanley, Stanley Cup, Cup champions. champions. Man, isn't that so great to see? Man, I was going bonkers <laughs> Tuesday I, night. I still have a voice, thankfully. Yeah, I um, know, right? That means I didn't go to the game right. or, yeah. or Toshiba Plaza because yeah. I would have absolutely not been able to do a podcast <laughs> within the next like week. Um, but uh, yeah, did you did you enjoy watching the game? I sure did, man. That's that's nothing like it. Yeah, you know the one thing I was really hoping about. And you know, sorry, we're going to turn this into a sports podcast for about <laughs> two minutes. Um, I was really w- worried that that was going to be like a really close nail biting game, and the fact that it was just a complete blowout, man, that just made the experience so much better. It really did. Yeah. And, like there was there was no point during that game where I was stressed out. Uh, the opening face off. The opening face. Okay. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. That, that, I think about two minutes in after yeah. that first shorthanded goal, I right. was like, I think, I think we yeah. got this. I think we're going to be good. Yep. Um, so we're going to be uh, probably a little, little happier for the next uh, yeah the next couple weeks. Absolutely. <laughs> if you see us in the halls, say hi and <laughs> give us a high five. Joining us today is a new guest for the first time, and we uh, would love to you know, welcome you to the podcast. This is uh, Pam Finder. She's the program coordinator for PTSD for the PTSD program. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. So we have you here because number one, um, you're a new face, so welcome. And number two, because it is uh, PTSD Awareness Month. That and, is correct. You know, as as much as we you know joke around about having stress about a hockey game, that's completely different when we're talking about PTSD. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is something that I, I don't, we've talked about on the podcast before with Dr. Anders, um, and it was, you know, during the pandemic, and obviously, you know, PTSD, the whole situation was, was much different during that time, uh, but now as we're coming out of the pandemic, it's something that uh, we want to kind of talk about again and maybe, you know, reframe a little bit. So uh, tell us a little bit about, first of all, about your time here at VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System and your experience working with PTSD here. Yeah, well, I actually came to Nevada and this VA during the pandemic. Um, I did not initially start working in the PTSD program when I came here, but I was working in the PCMHI program, which you also see veterans who are experiencing PTSD there. Um, So I think a lot more veterans came to the VA during the pandemic to seek help for mental health concerns. So we definitely saw an uptick in um, access to resources, which is good. People are reaching out and they're coming to us for help and they're um, being able to experience relief from their symptoms. Um, I think as we're coming out of the pandemic, we have more resources available to take care of ourselves. We are, you know, having more in-person groups again, especially through our peer support program, which is really wonderful. Um, People can come to their appointments in person and feel a little bit safer, but we are still doing a lot of care virtually, which is wonderful. It means that we can offer care to people who 
maybe wouldn't be able to access care at the VA normally because they live so far away. So we really have seen some changes, some that are maybe going away a little bit and some that are definitely longer lasting. You know, one of the things that I noticed out, out of the pandemic, you know, it, it, tra- it changed uh, the way we treat a lot of things, right? Yes. You, where, where people before were resistant to virtual care, now they're all about it. Um, one of the things that I noticed with, as, as far as, uh, behavioral health and things like that is that people finally kind of realize that it's okay to not be okay right um so you talk about you saw that uptick partially because of that so how how is that kind of as now that we're coming out of the pandemic national emergencies are ending things like that are things going back to the way they used to be or uh, do people kind of have the message now that it's okay to not be okay well when I drive to work, I see that on a billboard. So I think that message is still going out there. Um, I think that people are still seeking care. Um, it may not have been as great an impact as it was initially at the pandemic because so many people came to the VA who weren't seeking care from us before. Um, and it was such a huge shock to everybody's system. But people are still, you know, they're coming out of the military, they're coming out of, you know, their service and and they're recognizing sometimes they're retiring and that's when people will seek care especially for ptsd services so i don't think that things have slowed down that much for us Um, in terms of other changes we're still offering virtual care which is wonderful um, because some veterans do prefer that means that they don't have to take you know a whole day off work to get involved in treatment Um, but we are trying to offer more face-to-face appointments for those who are interested and really you know coming back to a little bit more of that traditional sense of what treatment is Um, so in some ways it's changed and in some ways it seems like it's continuing on the path that we started I do kind of have a question about like how we define PTSD. Now, you know, throughout history, you know, those who study World War One, World War Two, it's been called lots of different things: shell shock, battle fatigue. George Carlin's got a bit about that. Yeah, right? yeah. How how the terminology changes. Yep. But you know, today we refer to it as, as PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of that has to do with with you know changing the definition of things, but also because it's not something that's just associated with wartime. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what are the kind of things that you've seen now during your time working with PTSD coordinating? Um, you know, how, how is that changing definition defined different veterans that come in for different reasons? Yeah, well, definitely a lot of veterans still come in and they say, I don't think I have PTSD because I wasn't in combat. And so we do a lot of education around what PTSD is and how you can develop PTSD. So really PTSD is a cluster of different symptoms that we develop from experiencing a life-threatening event or a potentially life-threatening event. So combat absolutely fits that bill, but you can get PTSD from MST, which is military sexual trauma. You can get it from surviving a natural disaster. You can develop it from experiencing childhood abuse. Um, So there are lots of different ways that you can develop PTSD. So even though it was initially kind of recognized from those who served in combat, we know now that it's not just for those who've experienced combat. And it's also important to remember that even if you've experienced one of those events, it doesn't mean you have to have PTSD. Um, But those are the types of things that can lead to the development of PTSD. Is is there a line where something isn't PTSD? Like somebody had a a, a bad experience with Mm -hmm. something, but it's not PTSD. Like, do do you, and I guess the way I'm trying to kind of word this is, you know, people think they have PTSD, but they don't, mm-hmm. right? And, and it's like, well, no, that thing that, that you experienced, that, that's not 
that's not really PTSD. So I think what you're asking for is there are certain things that meet criteria for the development of PTSD and then some things that don't meet the qualifications. Um, so there are some people who may have had a bad experience, um, but it's not necessarily a traumatic or life-threatening or potentially life-threatening experience. So they may have some of the symptoms, they may have nightmares, but it may not be PTSD. Um, sometimes people have very complex, complicated grief. And so they have some symptoms that mimic PTSD, but they don't actually meet the criteria for PTSD. Um, we also have people who maybe did experience those events like combat or MST, and they don't have all the symptoms of PTSD. So they might have just nightmares, but nothing else. So while we want to treat all of those symptoms, and it really, it doesn't matter where you're getting the symptoms from, we can still offer treatment, maybe not in the PTSD program itself, but we can definitely offer treatment through our behavioral health department. Um, we do ask those questions. We ask, what was that triggering event to make sure that it does meet those qualifications? Uh, what's uh, kind of, what's the, the, reasoning behind people maybe you have two people maybe they witness the exact same thing and one person is like well okay that happened and then somebody else is just you know needs a lot of help yeah. right what's what's kind of how does that develop differently in, in different people yeah that's a great question it's very complicated and complex um, just like anything else that we're talking about when we talk about human beings um, but you know you talked about two people experiencing the same event we all bring our own interpretation of events to the table if you will so someone might react differently even to the same situation based on what they experienced previously in their life. Um, if individuals have experienced trauma before, they might be more likely to develop PTSD versus someone who has not had a traumatic experience before. It also depends on your social support. If you have people in your life and you let those people help you and they help you in the right way, we can often you know, move past those experience in a more positive way than if we don't have support or we don't engage with the support that we have. Um, also, if we don't have tools to take care of ourselves, you know, even if we have support, if we don't know how to express what we're going through, we don't even really understand how to put it in words, that can make it maybe more or less likely that you're gonna develop PTSD. You know, one thing that, that was one of my first experiences here at this VA, um, I moved here in September, 2017. Mm. So shortly after I went through my orientation process, we had the October 1st shootings. Yeah. And uh, for those of you who, who weren't working here at the time, um, while we didn't have any first responders that were part of the, act, the initial recovery, um, we provided a lot of PTSD support mm -hmm. for those first responders. Um, you know, and you think about people who are first responders, people who are military, police, fire, they, they're generally taught or, you know, they, they pick people who can respond well under pressure. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they pick people who immediately act rather than, than sit. And, you know, it maybe it takes a couple days for, for that to really sink in what they witnessed and what they experienced. So I know the VA, you know, we did a lot with, with you know, Dr. Acevedo, um, who's our emergency manager here, um, did a lot to, to help be there on site and help to provide uh, counseling. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, going back to, to looking at, you know, that delayed response for PTSD, how common is that for people to, you know, experience a, a traumatic event, 
not think about it at the time, but then year, you know, days, weeks, months, years down the road, have it affect them. Yeah, well, it's important to remember that PTSD stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. By definition, you can't meet qualifications for PTSD until at least a month after the traumatic experience happened. Um, there is something called acute stress disorder, which can be within the first month, but you can't have PTSD if it's been less than a month. I didn't even know that. I, yeah. I didn't even yeah. know there was a time frame on that. Yes, yeah. um, so I would say it's very common. Um, we have a lot of people, and it's important to remember that sometimes people have PTSD and they don't report it. They minimize their symptoms and or they're in an environment where their symptoms don't dramatically impact them. So even if they know, hey, I'm a little bit more irritable or it's a little bit harder for me to sleep, they either you know push it aside or they say it's not really impacting me, so it's okay. But then things change. Um, a lot of times when people leave the military, that's when they seek treatment for PTSD. Um, sometimes when people become parents and they notice that they don't have patience for their kids, that's when they seek treatment for PTSD. Sometimes when people are in retirement, not just from the military, but retirement from you know any employment, that's when they notice like, oh, I, I need to seek treatment. A lot of times it's when we have more downtime so we can think about things, we have less distraction, or when there's a major life event. But it's actually very common for people to wait, often years. Even if they've noticed symptoms before, it's very common for them to wait a long time. So what's the, what's the danger to somebody's mental health? If they go through an experience, they know it's affecting them, but they kind of compartmentalize it and lock it away mm -hmm. and, and don't seek treatment. Mm -hmm. Well, so I think it depends on how they do that, right? If they're able to put it on the shelf, so to speak, and not have it impact them on, in you know their daily lives and they're functioning, then maybe it's not such a bad thing. Um, but if they're just trying to shove it up there on the shelf and it keeps falling down and it's impacting them and it's impacting the people around them that care about them and that they care about, that's when it can be a little bit more detrimental. Um, but I think it's really important to remember that you have to feel ready to seek treatment. Um, if you are coming to treatment because your spouse is saying that you have to, but you really don't think you do, or you know, you're know you doing it because someone else is, is telling you to, you're probably not gonna get the most out of that treatment. So then where, how does that bump up against somebody who obviously needs treatment, but then doesn't want it? Yeah, um, and that, that can be a frustration, I'm sure, if there are any family members or friends of, of veterans listening to the podcast, they can definitely relate to that. Um, it, it is a challenge. And sometimes it's about talking to them about, hey, what are your symptoms? How are they impacting you? Are you okay with that impact? And if not, what do you wanna do to maybe change it? Um, and sometimes it's not about like, oh, I think you have PTSD, you need to go get help. But maybe it's like, you yell a lot and you know that you don't feel good after you do that maybe there are some tools that can help you stop doing that behavior so if somebody comes to you clinically and you're dealing with that person how do you clinically handle that well we do a lot of what's called motivational interviewing <laughs> um you know really just asking them what are you looking for and i've asked my clients that question several times um you know what do you want to get out of treatment and what are you willing to put into it? Because sometimes people are, are able to say, you know what, I have problems, but I don't want to go through PTSD treatment. Okay, so what do you want? Are you looking for just some tools to help with sleep? We can start with that. If that solves the problem for you, that's wonderful. And if not, maybe we come back to that conversation. Of, are you now ready 
to do PTSD treatment because PTSD treatment is very intensive. It does take a lot out of you. You get a lot from it. And lots of people have felt tremendous relief from PTSD treatment, but it's not like you just pop a pill and you feel better. Yeah, it's not like, uh, I was just gonna say, it's not like a broken bone where you can look right. at an x-ray and say, that bone's broken, we're gonna cast it, and it's gonna be fine, right? Yes. There's a lot of digging down and, and peeling back the onion, as yeah. they say, to try and find the the root causes of a lot of these things mm -hmm. and then how it's affected you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, going along with that analogy, uh, sometimes people will describe PTSD as like, you broke the bone, it healed, not with medical attention, it just healed, and now you have to break it again to heal it correctly, and that hurts. Mm -hmm. So it's understandable that people wouldn't want to necessarily jump right in. Um, and you know, if, if people are worried about what the treatment entails or you know, how intense it's gonna be or how it's gonna impact them, then coming into treatment and asking those questions is the best way to get information. Well, and you use the analogy of having to re-break a bone to kind of dig into some of those things that didn't heal properly. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think a lot of us in the military, you know, probably didn't seek help while we were in the military for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm sure a lot of us have a lot of things that we probably would need to unpack before uh, getting into a, a treatment plan. Yeah. So, uh, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back talking about PTSD Awareness Month. You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Mike Richmond of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs with this message for veterans. If you're a veteran having thoughts of suicide or know of a veteran at risk for taking their own life, Call the new Veterans Crisis Line number, 988, then press 1. It's available 24-7. This shorter, three-digit number provides an easier-to-remember way to access the Veterans Crisis Line, which links to over 500 VA suicide prevention coordinators. Suicide prevention is VA's top clinical priority, and in the words of VA Secretary Dennis McDonough, during a crisis, every second counts. This new number, he says, makes it easier for veterans and those who care about them to reach life-saving support without having to be enrolled in VA benefits or health care. For more information, go to VeteransCrisisLine.net. That's VeteransCrisisLine.net. I'm Mike Richman. Welcome back to The Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related health care news and information. Here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Hi, welcome back to the Nine Line Podcast. John and Josh here with Dr. Pam Finder. Doctor, that's kind of an important part. We missed that. I did we not include that on before, that one. so I apologize, yeah, Dr. Finder. That's okay. <laughs> um, she's joining us from the uh, PTSD. She's the program coordinator, and um, we are talking about PTSD Awareness Month. So one thing that we we talked about between the, uh, the segments here, um, you came here from DOD, mm -hmm. and we talked a little bit about how, you know, 
the military mental health is different from how the VA handles things. Uh, tell us a little bit about your perspective coming from DOD and seeing the VA. Yeah, so just to be clear, I was a civilian working for the DOD, um, so I don't want to misrepresent myself in any way, but I worked in the primary care field in the DOD. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I did that when I first came to the VA as well. Um, there's, there's a lot more nuance to mental health treatment when you're working with active duty service members. Um, and I worked with several people in the DOD, and I've worked with several people here at the VA who've said, you know, I've, I only felt comfortable seeking care once I dropped my packet or once I already knew I was coming to the end of my time in my service um, because there's a lot of stigma still associated with seeking mental health treatment and that doesn't go away just because you take off the uniform. So that's a lot of what we deal with here at the VA as well, especially for people who haven't sought treatment from the VA before or very new out of the military. Um, so we do try as much as possible to educate and let people know, you know, it's okay to seek help. Um, and from my perspective, if you are acknowledging that there's a problem and you're asking for resources to help you address it, that's going to make you a stronger human being, a stronger service member if you're still in, or a stronger you know, civilian if you are now out in the, um, you know, the, the VA. And so that that's really important, I think. Um, but it's also important to recognize that that still is a thing, even though uh, we try really hard not to um, reinforce that stigma. We know that it's still there. You know, you talk about that stigma and, you know, some of it is kind of that macho culture mm -hmm. that, that kind of embodies the entire military, but, you know, it's more prevalent in some services than others. Uh -huh. um, you know, there's some organizational things within yep. the military. So, once somebody comes to you and they're they're not in the military anymore, but they're still, you know, they're they're a product of their environment. Absolutely, right. Yes. How hard is it for you and what does it take to kind of pierce all of that to, to kind of get get through to folks that, yeah. you know, it is OK to not be OK? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And it really depends on the individual. Some. Veterans, by the time they come to me, they've met with several other people from behavioral health. Maybe they've even been to other VAs, and so they had uh, courses of treatment before, and so they are more keen to engage. Um, but then there are others who it's still, even if they've been through treatment before, it's still very hard to let their guard down. So what I do is I just acknowledge that, and we talk about it. And I talk about let's start small. And you know you don't have to tell me the worst thing that happened to you the second you meet me. Let's have you talk to me about some things that maybe aren't so up hard for you to let go or don't make you feel so vulnerable and see how that goes. And then we can build on there. Um, but yeah, for some people it's really hard. Do you, do you ever run into a situation where, you know, I see every once in a while you'll see veterans who, who feel like the DOD and the VA are, are linked. They're mm -hmm. all, they're under the same umbrella yeah. when really we're two separate entities. Do you ever run into folks that, that, that say, well, the DOD made me this way, so the VA is not going to be able to help me? I, I don't know that I've heard it phrased quite like that, but sure. I do think that sometimes veterans feel very damaged or broken because of their service. And they it's not that the VA can't help them, it's that nobody can help them. Um, and I think one of the most important things in that situation is just to let them know that they're not alone. Um, they're not the first to say that, they unfortunately won't be the last to say that, and it is possible to get help. And I think our peer support program in particular is really great with that because these are all veterans who have had their own 
behavioral health story and they can really speak to that and say, you know, I've been where you've been and I'm in a different place now and it can be really meaningful. And, you know, I think some of those ties between DOD and VA can also be a positive too, because, you know, if I'm a combat veteran who's dealing with PTSD, I don't know that going to a civilian hospital with people who are not veterans who haven't maybe dealt with as much combat PTSD experience as something like military or sexual trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, maybe coming to somewhere where it says veterans might make me feel like there's people who understand me a little bit better. Absolutely. We have some veterans who don't want to have anything to do with the VA and ask for community care whenever possible. And then we have some veterans who say, I don't want community care because they don't understand me. I've had veterans say that they feel safer coming to the VA because they know other veterans are there. They know how to keep each other and themselves safe. And you don't have that out in the community. So just like anything else when you're talking about human beings, there's you know a great range of differences in terms of opinion. But absolutely, there are some people who say, I want to be seen here for especially my PTSD because you guys understand combat or you understand MST. And so I don't have to explain as much when yeah. I'm in treatment. It definitely seems like one of the areas where the VA is like uniquely equipped to, to be able to, to treat veterans' health probably better than anyone in the community, I would think. Yeah. Um, and the VA does a very good job of putting out trainings as much as possible. We have a lot of staff in behavioral health who have been trained by the VA in evidence-based protocols. So these are treatments that have been researched extensively. They've been vetted, if you will. We know that they work. Um, so there's a huge emphasis on using those types of treatment, especially for PTSD. We have prolonged exposure, we have cognitive processing therapy, we have EMDR, which stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, those are all like gold standard treatments for PTSD. And we have staff who've been trained by the VA or have the VA has brought outside trainers in to teach us these protocols so that we can give the services to veterans. So you talked a little bit about some of the classes, um, the you know, peer support groups and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, break down, I guess, based on, on what kind of treatment you're doing, what kind of classes and courses are available for people? Yeah, so the good thing is, like I said earlier, I think, um, you don't have to be in the PTSD program to get PTSD services. So if you go to your primary care doctor and say, I think I have PTSD, and they say, hey, let's get you set up with our PCMHI provider, they can help you with resources for PTSD. If they decide and you decide with them that you want a higher level of care, they can get you set up with our BHIP services, which are more traditional, you know, anything under the sun we can help with treatment program. Or if you really want an evidence-based protocol like the ones that I just mentioned, you can potentially come to the PTSD program as well. But at all those different levels of treatment, we have different groups or classes. We have information on sleep specifically because that is something that often is a struggle for for veterans generally, but especially for those uh, dealing with PTSD. We have groups about getting out in the community because we know that isolation is a huge problem for individuals dealing with PTSD. We have the STAIR group in our BHIP program, which is a protocol designed specifically for PTSD. So we have resources in all the levels. Um, In the PTSD program specifically, we have cognitive processing therapy groups for combat and MST. um, And 
we have separate groups for men dealing with MST and women dealing with MST. We also have groups on guilt and shame. We have a women's mind body healing group, post-traumatic growth group. So we have lots of different types of groups and it's not just you have PTSD and this group has PTSD in the title. Sometimes it's dealing with specific symptoms related to PTSD. Um, now, most of those groups that I mentioned are more protocol-based, so they're more structured, um, but we know our peers are great at offering um, more of those support group type uh, classes, and also the vet center that works closely with us. They have support groups for veterans dealing with PTSD from combat and MST. And I know we've had Joe Lasky on, on here before, who's, I believe, the former um, vet center. Yes. Um, and you know, he was a you know special, I believe, ranger or special forces, and he you know has a lot of combat experience, and he, I know, works with a lot of the, the combat veterans and things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we have a lot of, of veterans who are working here helping veterans with uh, those PTSD Absolutely. issues. Absolutely, yes. And that's one of the benefits also of coming to the VA for care, because a lot of people who served want to come and work at the VA. Well, one of the things that I've noticed is we've gone around and, and had the opportunity to observe some of the classes and things like that. It, it's also very helpful to be in a group where everybody is like you, mm-hmm. right? It, it's not necessarily that the, the person leading the group from the VA staff is a veteran, but I'm in a room of other veterans going through this, right? You know, if I was just a solo veteran going through a PTSD group outside and nobody else is a veteran, then Mm -hmm. everybody else, it it feels like I'm, I'm just there on my own. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it would seem to me like I, that wouldn't be a a scenario that I would want to be in. I would want to be among my people, right? Yeah. 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 And that's why we offer groups. You know, some veterans really don't like the idea of groups because they don't want to share. They don't want to put their own business out there. But the veterans who do participate in these groups, they find it very helpful for the exact reason that you were saying. They're not alone. And it's not just me or one of their other therapists saying like, look, I see, you know, eight people a day. I'm telling you, you're not the only one going through this, but they see it. Mm-hmm. They're seeing it in the room and they, you know, can relate and you can talk about your PTSD. You can talk about what led to the PTSD. You can talk about the symptoms that you're having now, or you could talk about the hockey game, right? You can connect on multiple levels. And I think that that's really important. And that's why we do try and encourage veterans to at least give groups a chance as much as possible. Well, I would think it would also help to to kind of, like we said, pierce that, that, that stigma, right? Uh-huh. Like, because you feel the stigma and it's like, well, nobody's going to help me. Yeah. And then you go and you see people who are out there speaking their life and, yeah. and, and talking their truths. And, you know, it, that can inspire you to then go out and, and do the same. Absolutely. And, you know, depending on what type of group you go to, if you have individuals who have been in the group for a while versus individuals who are just starting out, you can see the progress. Right, you can say, oh, okay, this person's been in group for two months and they're doing so much better and they're talking about all the tools that they've learned, that could be me. And we can tell you that for individual therapy, but that doesn't mean that you get to see it in person the same way that you could in a group or even just working with the peers. So if I'm a veteran who, you know, based on listening to this, I'm starting to recognize, you know, maybe, you know, my lack of patience at home or maybe, you know, my ability to fly off the handle over the yeah. slightest thing you know maybe maybe those are linked to PSD, PTSD how how does that veteran start the process of getting help yeah absolutely so because june is PTSD awareness month there are national PTSD um 
program is putting out all kinds of information. On the 27th of this month, it's you know PTSD Screener Day. Um, you can take the screening um, at any point in time, but it's I believe five questions just to kind of get a sense of maybe maybe you do have PTSD symptoms. You can go on the um, National PTSD website, find the screener take it yourself. If you're not interested in that, but you think that you might have the symptoms, you can, it, next time you're seeing your primary care doctor, you can say, hey, I think I might have PTSD. Can I talk to somebody? And they can set you up with someone from PCMHI, possibly even the same day if that's, you know, works with your schedule. Um, if you don't want to wait for your next primary care appointment, you can always message them if you have secure messaging or, or call, but you can also walk in. Um, the VA is good about having walk-in clinic hours. So here at the main hospital and behavioral health, our walk-in clinic is usually the best time to walk in is between eight and three, Monday through Friday. But at the outlying clinics, they have walk-in hours as well. So you can always say, hey, I think I might have PTSD. I wanna to talk to somebody. Yeah, we talked a little bit, well, we've talked a lot about PTSD mm-hmm. and, and some of those criteria, you know, all those things it needs to hit, time, yeah. you know, experience, things like that. If somebody comes to you and says, I think I have PTSD, and you're like, nah, you're just a really angry dude. Like, what what then happens there? Like, yeah. how, do, how does then that get handled? Absolutely. So it if you don't meet full criteria for PTSD, that's okay. It doesn't mean you can't get services. Um, we actually have a couple anger management groups through the Behavioral Health Department, and we have lots of resources to help with anger. Um, we have lots of resources to help with sleep, including groups for that as well. We have resources for those in dealing with chronic pain, depression, anxiety, really any symptom. If you're like, you know what, this is a behavior or this is a way of thinking that I'm having these emotions that don't seem right or that are causing me distress, you can come in and you might only just need a couple of tools, a couple of appointments, or you might need a full protocol. Whatever it is, we can work with you. We can figure out what your resources are. We have steps to care or different levels of care here at the VA. So if you're just looking for a couple of tools to help you improve your sleep because you have insomnia, we can do that. And if you're looking for full PTSD protocols, we have that as well. And just to reemphasize what you were saying before, you know, we do offer those same day services for all mental health uh, services at all our facilities. So that's something if you you feel like you need to come in and, and talk to somebody, please do. Yes. And just... I have to do it. There's always the plug for the Veterans Crisis Line, which is now 988. That's a resource that you can use 24-7. It's not just if you're feeling suicidal. If you are really in distress and you need to talk to somebody and it's 2 in the morning, you can call that line. You can also walk in. If you're really in an emergency, you call 911. But we want to make sure that veterans know that there are resources available to them 24-7 and that we have resources here at the VA. Thank you, Dr. Finder, so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And uh, I guess everyone else, we will talk to you again in two weeks. You've been listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash lasvegasva. Thanks for listening.